chapter twenty four of my bondage and my freedom by frederick douglas this librivox recording is in the public domain twenty-one months in great britain good arising out of unpropitious events denied cabin passage proscription turned to good account the hutchinson family the mob on board the cambria happy introduction to the british public letter addressed to william lloyd garrison time and labours while abroad freedom purchased mrs henry richardson free papers abolitionists displeased with the ransom how the author's energies were directed reception speech in london character of the speech defended circumstances explained causes contributing to the success of his mission free church of scotland testimonial the allotments of providence when coupled with trouble and anxiety often conceal from finite vision the wisdom and goodness in which they are sent and frequently what seemed a harsh and invidious dispensation is converted by after experience into a happy and beneficial arrangement thus the painful liability to be returned again to slavery which haunted me by day and troubled my dreams by night proved to be a necessary step in the path of knowledge and usefulness the writing of my pamphlet in the spring of eighteen forty five endangered my liberty and led me to seek a refuge from republican slavery in monarchical england a rude uncultivated fugitive slave was driven by stern necessity to that country to which young american gentlemen go to increase their stock of knowledge to seek pleasure to have their rough democratic manners softened by contact with english aristocratic refinement on applying for a passage to england on board the cambria of the cunard line my friend james n buffum of lynn massachusetts was informed that i could not be received on board as a cabin passenger american prejudice against colour triumphed over british liberality and civilization and erected a colour test and condition for crossing the sea in the cabin of a british vessel the insult was keenly felt by my white friends but to me it was common expected and therefore a thing of no great consequence whether i went in the cabin or in the steerage moreover i felt that if i could not go into the first cabin first cabin passengers could come into the second cabin and the result justified my anticipations to the fullest extent indeed i soon found myself an object of more general interest than i wished to be and so far from being degraded by being placed in the second cabin that part of the ship became the scene of as much pleasure and refinement during the voyage as the cabin itself the hutchinson family celebrated vocalists fellow-passengers often came to my rude forecastle deck and sung their sweetest songs enlivening the place with eloquent music as well as spirited conversation during the voyage in two days after leaving boston one part of the ship was about as free to me as another my fellow-passengers not only visited me but invited me to visit them on the saloon deck my visits there however were but seldom i preferred to live within my privileges and keep upon my own premises i found this quite as much in accordance with good policy as with my own feelings the effect was that with the majority of the passengers all coloured distinctions were flung to the winds and i found myself treated with every mark of respect from the beginning to the end of the voyage 
except in a single instance and in that i came near being mobbed for complying with an invitation given me by the passengers and the captain of the cambria to deliver a lecture on slavery our new orleans and georgia passengers were pleased to regard my lecture as an insult offered to them and swore i should not speak they went so far as to threaten to throw me overboard and but for the firmness of captain judkins probably would have under the inspiration of slavery and brandy attempted to put their threats into execution i have no space to describe this scene although its tragic and comic peculiarities are well worth describing an end was put to the melee by the captain's calling the ship's company to put the salt-water mobocrats in irons at this determined order the gentlemen of the lash scampered and for the rest of the voyage conducted themselves very decorously this incident of the voyage in two days after landing at liverpool brought me at once before the british public and that by no act of my own the gentlemen so promptly snubbed in their meditated violence flew to the press to justify their conduct and to denounce me as a worthless and insolent negro this course was even less wise than the conduct it was intended to sustain for besides awakening something like a national interest in me and securing me an audience it brought out counter-statements and threw the blame upon themselves which they had sought to fasten upon me and the gallant captain of the ship some notion may be formed of the difference in my feelings and circumstances while abroad from the following extract from one of a series of letters addressed by me to mr garrison and published in the liberator it was written on the first day of january eighteen forty six my dear friend garrison up to this time i have given no direct expression of the views feelings and opinions which i have formed respecting the character and condition of the people of this land i have refrained thus purposely i wish to speak advisedly and in order to do this i have waited till i trust experience has brought my opinions to an intelligent maturity i have been thus careful not because i think what i say will have much effect in shaping the opinions of the world but because whatever of influence i may possess whether little or much i wish it to go in the right direction and according to truth i hardly need say that in speaking of ireland i shall be influenced by no prejudices in favour of america i think my circumstances all forbid that i have no end to serve no creed to uphold no government to defend and as to nation i belong to none i have no protection at home or resting-place abroad the land of my birth welcomes me to her shores only as a slave and spurns with contempt the idea of treating me differently so that i am an outcast from the society of my childhood and an outlaw in the land of my birth i am a stranger with thee and a sojourner as all my fathers were that men should be patriotic is to me perfectly natural and as a philosophical fact i am able to give it an intellectual recognition but no further can i go if ever i had any patriotism or any capacity for the feeling it was whipped out of me long since by the lash of the american soul-drivers in thinking of america i sometimes find myself admiring her bright blue sky her grand old woods her fertile fields her beautiful rivers her mighty lakes and star-crowned mountains but my rapture is soon checked my joy is soon turned to mourning when i remember that all is cursed with the infernal spirit of slaveholding robbery and wrong when i remember that with the waters of her noblest rivers the tears of my brethren are borne to the ocean disregarded and forgotten and that our most fertile fields drink daily of the warm blood of my outraged sisters i am filled with unutterable loathing and led to reproach myself that anything could fall from my lips in praise of such a land america will not allow her children to love her she seems bent on compelling those who would be her warmest friends to be her worst enemies 
may god give her repentance before it is too late is the ardent prayer of my heart i will continue to pray labour and wait believing that she cannot always be insensible to the dictates of justice or deaf to the voice of humanity my opportunities for learning the character and condition of the people of this land have been very great i have travelled almost from the hill of howth to the giant's causeway and from the giant's causeway to cape clear during these travels i have met with much in the character and condition of the people to approve and much to condemn much that has thrilled me with pleasure and very much that has filled me with pain i will not in this letter attempt to give any description of those scenes which have given me pain this i will do hereafter i have enough and more than your subscribers will be disposed to read at one time of the bright side of the picture i can truly say i have spent some of the happiest moments of my life since landing in this country i seem to have undergone a transformation i live a new life the warm and generous cooperation extended to me by the friends of my despised race the prompt and liberal manner with which the press has rendered me its aid the glorious enthusiasm with which thousands have flocked to hear the cruel wrongs of my downtrodden and long enslaved fellow-countrymen portrayed the deep sympathy for the slave and the strong abhorrence of the slaveholder everywhere evinced the cordiality with which members and ministers of various religious bodies and of various shades of religious opinions have embraced me and lent me their aid the kind hospitality constantly proffered to me by persons of the highest rank in society the spirit of freedom that seems to animate all with whom i come in contact and the entire absence of everything that looked like prejudice against me on account of the colour of my skin contrasted so strongly with my long and bitter experience in the united states that i look with wonder and amazement on the transition in the southern part of the united states i was a slave thought of and spoken of as property in the language of the law held taken reputed and adjudged to be a chattel in the hands of my owners and possessors and their executors administrators and assigns to all intents constructions and purposes whatsoever breath digest to twenty four in the northern states a fugitive slave liable to be hunted at any moment like a felon and to be hurled into the terrible jaws of slavery doomed by an inveterate prejudice against colour to insult and outrage on every hand massachusetts out of the question denied the privileges and courtesies common to others in the use of the most humble means of conveyance shut out from the cabins on steamboats refused admission to respectable hotels caricatured scorned scoffed mocked and maltreated with impunity by any one no matter how black his heart so he has a white skin but now behold the change eleven days and a half gone and i have crossed three thousand miles of the perilous deep instead of a democratic government i am under a monarchical government instead of the bright blue sky of america i am covered with the soft gray fog of the emerald isle i breathe and lo the chattel becomes a man i gaze around in vain for one who will question my equal humanity claim me as his slave or offer me an insult i employ a cab i am seated beside white people i reach the hotel i enter the same door i am shown into the same parlour i dine at the same table and no one is offended no delicate nose grows deformed in my presence i find no difficulty here in obtaining admission into any place of worship instruction or amusement on equal terms with people as white as any i ever saw in the united states i meet nothing to remind me of my complexion i find myself regarded and treated at every turn with the kindness and deference paid to white people when i go to church i am met by no upturned nose and scornful lip to tell me we don't allow niggers in here i remember about two years ago there was in boston near the southwest corner of boston common a menagerie i had long desired to see such a collection as i understood was being exhibited there 
never having had an opportunity while a slave i resolved to seize this my first since my escape i went and as i approached the entrance to gain admission i was met and told by the doorkeeper in a harsh and contemptuous tone we don't allow niggers in here i also remember attending a revival meeting in the rev henry jackson's meeting-house at new bedford and going up the broad aisle to find a seat i was met by a good deacon who told me in a pious tone we don't allow niggers in here soon after my arrival in new bedford from the south i had a strong desire to attend the lyceum but was told they don't allow niggers in here while passing from new york to boston on the steamer massachusetts on the night of the ninth of december eighteen forty three when chilled almost through with the cold i went into the cabin to get a little warm i was soon touched upon the shoulder and told we don't allow niggers in here on arriving in boston from an anti-slavery tour hungry and tired i went into an eating-house near my friend mr campbell's to get some refreshments i was met by a lad in a white apron we don't allow niggers in here a week or two before leaving the united states i had a meeting appointed at weymouth the home of that glorious band of true abolitionists the weston family and others on attempting to take a seat in the omnibus to that place i was told by the driver and i never shall forget his fiendish hate i don't allow niggers in here thank heaven for the respite i now enjoy i had been in dublin but a few days when a gentleman of great respectability kindly offered to conduct me through all the public buildings of that beautiful city and a little afterward i found myself dining with the lord mayor of dublin what a pity there was not some american democratic christian at the door of his splendid mansion to bark at at my approach they don't allow niggers in here the truth is the people here know nothing of the republican negro hate prevalent in our glorious land they measure and esteem men according to their moral and intellectual worth and not according to the color of their skin whatever may be said of the aristocracies here there is none based on the color of a man's skin this species of aristocracy belongs pre-eminently to the land of the free and the home of the brave i have never found it abroad in any but americans it sticks to them wherever they go they find it almost as hard to get rid of as to get rid of their skins the second day after my arrival at liverpool in company with my friend buffham and several other friends i went to eton hall the residence of the marquis of westminster one of the most splendid buildings in england on approaching the door i found several of our american passengers who came out with us in the cambria waiting for admission as but one party was allowed in the house at a time we all had to wait till the company within came out and of all the faces expressive of chagrin those of the americans were preeminent they looked as sour as vinegar and as bitter as gall when they found i was to be admitted on equal terms with themselves when the doors opened i walked in on an equal footing with my white fellow-citizens and from all i could see i had as much attention paid me by the servants that showed us through the house as any with a paler skin as i walked through the building the statuary did not fall down the pictures did not leap from their places the doors did not refuse to open and the servants did not say we don't allow niggers in here a happy new year to you and all the friends of freedom my time and labours while abroad were divided between england ireland scotland and wales upon this experience alone i might write a book twice the size of this my bondage and my freedom i visited and lectured in nearly all the large towns and cities in the united kingdom and enjoyed many favourable opportunities for observation and information but books on england are abundant and the public may therefore dismiss any fear that i am meditating another infliction in that line though in truth i should like much to write a book on those countries if for nothing else to make grateful mention of the many dear friends whose benevolent actions toward me 
are ineffaceably stamped upon my memory and warmly treasured in my heart to these friends i owe my freedom in the united states on their own motion without any solicitation from me mrs henry richardson a clever lady remarkable for her devotion to every good work taking the lead they raised a fund sufficient to purchase my freedom and actually paid it over and placed the papers of my manumission in my hands before they would tolerate the idea of my returning to this my native country to this commercial transaction i owe my exemption from the democratic operation of the fugitive slave bill of eighteen fifty but for this i might at any time become a victim of this most cruel and scandalous enactment and be doomed to end my life as i began it a slave the sum paid for my freedom was one hundred and fifty pounds sterling some of my uncompromising anti-slavery friends in this country failed to see the wisdom of this arrangement and were not pleased that i consented to it even by my silence they thought it a violation of anti-slavery principles conceding a right of property in man and a wasteful expenditure of money on the other hand viewing it simply in the light of a ransom or as money extorted by a robber and my liberty more value than one hundred and fifty pounds sterling i could not see either a violation of the laws of morality or those of economy in the transaction it is true i was not in the possession of my claimants and could have easily remained in england for the same friends who had so generously purchased my freedom would have assisted me in establishing myself in that country to this however i could not consent i felt that i had a duty to perform and that was to labour and suffer with the oppressed in my native land considering therefore all the circumstances the fugitive slave bill included i think the very best thing was done in letting master hugh have the hundred and fifty pounds sterling and leaving me free to return to my appropriate field of labour had i been a private person having no other relations or duties than those of a personal and family nature i should never have consented to the payment of so large a sum for the privilege of living securely under our glorious republican form of government i could have remained in england or have gone to some other country and perhaps i could even have lived unobserved in this but to this i could not consent i had already become somewhat notorious and withal quite as unpopular as notorious and i was therefore much exposed to arrest and recapture the main object to which my labours in great britain were directed was the concentration of the moral and religious sentiment of its people against american slavery england is often charged with having established slavery in the united states and if there were no other justification than this for appealing to her people to lend their moral aid for the abolition of slavery i should be justified my speeches in great britain were wholly extemporaneous and i may not always have been so guarded in my expressions as i otherwise should have been i was ten years younger then than now and only seven years from slavery i cannot give the reader a better idea of the nature of my discourses than by republishing one of them delivered in finsbury chapel london to an audience of about two thousand persons and which was published in the london universe at the time those in the united states who may regard this speech as being harsh in its spirit and unjust in its statements because delivered before an audience supposed to be anti-republican in their principles and feelings may view the matter differently when they learn that the case supposed did not exist it so happened that the great mass of the people in england who attended and patronized my anti-slavery meetings were in truth about as good republicans as the mass of americans and with this decided advantage over the latter they are lovers of republicanism for all men for black men as well as for white men they are the people who sympathize with louis Kossuth and mazzini and with the oppressed and enslaved of every color and nation the world over they constitute the democratic element in british politics 
and are as much opposed to the union of church and state as we in america are to such an union at the meeting where his speech was delivered joseph sturge a world-wide philanthropist and a member of the society of friends presided and addressed the meeting george william alexander another friend who has spent more than an american fortune in promoting the anti-slavery cause in different sections of the world was on the platform and also dr campbell now of the british banner who combines all the humane tenderness of melanchthon with the directness and boldness of luther he is in the very front ranks of nonconformists and looks with no unfriendly eye upon america george thompson too was there and america will yet own that he did a true man's work in relighting the rapidly dying out fire of true republicanism in the american heart and be ashamed of the treatment he met at her hands coming generations in this country will applaud the spirit of this much abused republican friend of freedom there were others of note seated on the platform who would gladly engraft upon english institutions all that is purely republican in the institutions of america nothing therefore must be set down against this speech on the score that it was delivered in the presence of those who cannot appreciate the many excellent things belonging to our system of government and with a view to stir up prejudice against republican institutions again let it also be remembered for it is the simple truth that neither in this speech nor in any other which i delivered in england did i ever allow myself to address englishmen as against americans i took my stand on the high ground of human brotherhood and spoke to englishmen as men in behalf of men slavery is a crime not against englishmen but against god and all the members of the human family and it belongs to the whole human family to seek its suppression in a letter to mr greeley of the new york tribune written while abroad i said i am nevertheless aware that the wisdom of exposing the sins of one nation in the ear of another has been seriously questioned by good and clear-sighted people both on this and on your side of the atlantic and the thought is not without weight on my own mind i am satisfied that there are many evils which can be best removed by confining our efforts to the immediate locality where such evils exist this however is by no means the case with the system of slavery it is such a giant sin such a monstrous aggregation of iniquity so hardening to the human heart so destructive to the moral sense and so well calculated to beget a character in every one around it favourable to its own continuance that i feel not only at liberty but abundantly justified in appealing to the whole world to aid in its removal but even if i had as has been often charged laboured to bring american institutions generally into disrepute and had not confined my labour strictly within the limits of humanity and morality i should not have been without illustrious examples to support me driven into semi-exile by civil and barbarous laws and by a system which cannot be thought of without a shudder i was fully justified in turning if possible the tide of the moral universe against the heaven-daring outrage four circumstances greatly assisted me in getting the question of american slavery before the british public first the mob on board the cambria already referred to which was a sort of national announcement of my arrival in england secondly the highly reprehensible course pursued by the free church of scotland in soliciting receiving and retaining money in its sustentation fund for supporting the gospel in scotland which was evidently the ill-gotten gain of slaveholders and slave-traders third the great evangelical alliance or rather the attempt to form such an alliance which should include slaveholders of a certain description added immensely to the interest felt in the slavery question about the same time there was the world's temperance convention where i had the misfortune to come in collision with sundry american doctors of divinity dr cox among the number with whom i had a small controversy 
it has happened to me as it has happened to most other men engaged in a good cause often to be more indebted to my enemies than to my own skill or to the assistance of my friends for whatever success has attended my labors great surprise was expressed by american newspapers north and south during my stay in great britain that a person so illiterate and insignificant as myself could awaken an interest so marked in england these papers were not the only parties surprised i was myself not far behind them in surprise but the very contempt and scorn the systematic and extravagant disparagement of which i was the object served perhaps to magnify my few merits and to render me of some account whether deserving or not a man is sometimes made great by the greatness of the abuse a portion of mankind may think proper to heap upon him whether i was of as much consequence as the english papers made me out to be or not it was easily seen in england that i could not be the ignorant and worthless creature some of the american papers would have them believe i was men in their senses do not take bowie knives to kill mosquitoes nor pistols to shoot flies and the american passengers who thought proper to get up a mob to silence me on board the cambria took the most effective method of telling the british public that i had something to say but to the second circumstance namely the position of the free church of scotland with the great doctors chalmers cunningham and candlish at its head that church with its leaders put it out of the power of the scotch people to ask the old question which we in the north have often most wickedly asked what have we to do with slavery that church had taken the price of blood into its treasury with which to build free churches and to pay free church ministers for preaching the gospel and were still when honest john murray of bolian bay now gone to his reward in heaven with william smeal andrew Peyton, frederick card and other sterling anti-slavery men in glasgow denounced the transaction as disgraceful and shocking to the religious sentiment of scotland this church through its leading divines instead of repenting and seeking to mend the mistake into which it had fallen made it a flagrant sin by undertaking to defend in the name of god and the bible the principle not only of taking the money of slave dealers to build churches but of holding fellowship with the holders and traffickers in human flesh this the reader will see brought up the whole question of slavery and opened the way to its full discussion without any agency of mine i have never seen a people more deeply moved than were the people of scotland on this very question public meeting succeeded public meeting speech after speech pamphlet after pamphlet editorial after editorial sermon after sermon soon lashed the conscientious scotch people into a perfect furor send back the money was indignantly cried out from greenock to edinburgh and from edinburgh to aberdeen george thompson of london henry c wright of the united states james n buffum of lynn massachusetts and myself were on the anti-slavery side and doctors chalmers cunningham and candlish on the other in a conflict where the latter could have been even a show of right the truth in our hands as against them must have been driven to the wall and while i believe we were able to carry the conscience of the country against the action of the free church the battle it must be confessed was a hard-fought one abler defenders of the doctrine of fellowshipping slaveholders as christians have not been met with in defending this doctrine it was necessary to deny that slavery is a sin if driven from this position they were compelled to deny that slaveholders were responsible for the sin and if driven from both these positions they must deny that it is a sin in such a sense and that slaveholders are sinners in such a sense as to make it wrong in the circumstances in which they were placed to recognize them as christians dr cunningham was the most powerful debater on the slavery side of the question 
mr thompson was the ablest on the anti-slavery side a scene occurred between these two men a parallel to which i think i never witnessed before and i know i never have since the scene was caused by a single exclamation on the part of mr thompson the general assembly of the free church was in progress at cannon mills edinburgh the building would hold about twenty five hundred persons and on this occasion it was densely packed notice having been given that doctors cunningham and candlish would speak that day in defence of the relations of the free church of scotland to slavery in america messieurs thompson buffum and myself and a few anti-slavery friends attended but sat at such a distance and in such a position that perhaps we were not observed from the platform the excitement was intense having been greatly increased by a series of meetings held by messrs thompson wright buffum and myself in the most splendid hall in that most beautiful city just previous to the meetings of the general assembly send back the money stared at us from every street corner send back the money in large capitals adorned the broad flags of the pavement send back the money was the chorus of the popular street songs send back the money was the heading of leading editorials in the daily newspapers this day at cannon mills the great doctors of the church were to give an answer to this loud and stern demand men of all parties and all sects were most eager to hear something great was expected the occasion was great the men great and great speeches were expected from them in addition to the outside pressure upon doctors cunningham and candlish there was wavering in their own ranks the conscience of the church itself was not at ease a dissatisfaction with the position of the church touching slavery was sensibly manifest among the members and something must be done to counteract this untoward influence the great dr chalmers was in feeble health at the time his most potent eloquence could not now be summoned to cannon mills as formerly he whose voice was able to rend asunder and dash down the granite walls of the established church of scotland and to lead a host in solemn procession from it as from a doomed city was now old and enfeebled besides he had said his word on this very question and his word had not silenced the clamour without nor still the anxious heavings within the occasion was momentous and felt to be so the church was in a perilous condition a change of some sort must take place in her condition or she must go to pieces to stand where she did was impossible the whole weight of the matter fell on cunningham and candlish no shoulders in the church were broader than theirs and i must say badly as i detest the principles laid down and defended by them i was compelled to acknowledge the vast mental endowments of the men cunningham rose and his rising was the signal for almost tumultuous applause you will say this was scarcely in keeping with the solemnity of the occasion but to me it served to increase its grandeur and gravity the applause though tumultuous was not joyous it seemed to me as it thundered up from the vast audience like the fall of an immense shaft flung from shoulders already galled by its crushing weight it was like saying doctor we have borne this burden long enough and willingly fling it upon you since it was you who brought it upon us take it now and do what you will with it for we are too weary to bear it dr cunningham proceeded with his speech abounding in logic learning and eloquence and apparently bearing down all opposition but at the moment the fatal moment when he was just bringing all his arguments to a point and that point being that neither jesus christ nor his holy apostles regarded slaveholding as a sin george thompson in a clear sonorous but rebuking voice broke the deep stillness of the audience exclaiming hear 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 the effect of this simple and common exclamation is almost incredible it was as if a granite wall had been suddenly flung up against the advancing current of a mighty river for a moment speaker and audience were brought to a dead silence both the doctor and his hearers seemed appalled by the audacity as well as the fitness of the rebuke 
at length a shout went up to the cry of put him out happily no one attempted to execute this cowardly order and the doctor proceeded with his discourse not however as before did the learned doctor proceed the exclamation of thompson must have re-echoed itself a thousand times in his memory during the remainder of his speech for the doctor never recovered from the blow the deed was done however the pillars of the church the proud free church of scotland were committed and the humility of repentance was absent the free church held on to the blood-stained money and continued to justify itself in its position and of course to apologize for slavery and does so till this day she lost a glorious opportunity for giving her voice her vote and her example to the cause of humanity and to-day she is staggering under the curse of the enslaved whose blood is in her skirts the people of scotland are to this day deeply grieved at the course pursued by the free church and would hail as a relief from a deep and blighting shame the sending back the money to the slaveholders from whom it was gathered one good result followed the conduct of the free church it furnished an occasion for making the people of scotland thoroughly acquainted with the character of slavery and for arraying against the system the moral and religious sentiment of that country therefore while we did not succeed in accomplishing the specific object of our mission namely procure the sending back of the money we were amply justified by the good which really did result from our labours next comes the evangelical alliance this was an attempt to form a union of all evangelical christians throughout the world sixty or seventy american divines attended and some of them went there merely to weave a world-wide garment with which to clothe evangelical slaveholders foremost among these divines was the rev samuel hanson cox moderator of the new school presbyterian general assembly he and his friends spared no pains to secure a platform broad enough to hold american slaveholders and in this they partly succeeded but the question of slavery is too large a question to be finally disposed of even by the evangelical alliance we appealed from the judgment of the alliance to the judgment of the people of great britain and with the happiest effect this controversy with the alliance might be made the subject of extended remark but i must forbear except to say that this effort to shield the christian character of slaveholders greatly served to open a way to the british ear for anti-slavery discussion and that it was well improved the fourth and last circumstance that assisted me in getting before the british public was an attempt on the part of certain doctors of divinity to silence me on the platform of the world's temperance convention here i was brought into point-blank collision with rev dr cox who made me the subject not only of bitter remark in the convention but also of a long denunciatory letter published in the new york evangelist and other american papers i replied to the doctor as well as i could and was successful in getting a respectful hearing before the british public who are by nature and practice ardent lovers of fair play especially in a conflict between the weak and the strong thus did circumstances favour me and favour the cause of which i strove to be the advocate after such distinguished notice the public in both countries was compelled to attach some importance to my labours by the very ill usage i received at the hands of dr cox and his party by the mob on board the cambria by the attacks made upon me in the american newspapers by the aspersion cast upon me through the organs of the free church of scotland i became one of that class of men who for the moment at least have greatness forced upon them people became the more anxious to hear for themselves and to judge for themselves of the truth which i had to unfold while therefore it is by no means easy for a stranger to get fairly before the british public it was my lot to accomplish it in the easiest manner possible 
having continued in great britain and ireland nearly two years and being about to return to america not as i left it a slave but a free man leading friends of the cause of emancipation in that country intimated their intention to make me a testimonial not only on grounds of personal regard to myself but also to the cause to which they were so ardently devoted how far any such thing could have succeeded i do not know but many reasons led me to prefer that my friends should simply give me the means of obtaining a printing-press and printing materials to enable me to start a paper devoted to the interests of my enslaved and oppressed people i told them that perhaps the greatest hindrance to the adoption of abolition principles by the people of the united states was the low estimate everywhere in that country placed upon the negro as a man that because of his assumed natural inferiority people reconcile themselves to his enslavement and oppression as things inevitable if not desirable the grand thing to be done therefore was to change the estimation in which the colored people of the united states were held to remove the prejudice which depreciated and depressed them to prove them worthy of a higher consideration to disprove their alleged inferiority and demonstrate their capacity for a more exalted civilization than slavery and prejudice had assigned to them i further stated that in my judgment a tolerably well-conducted press in the hands of persons of the despised race by calling out the mental energies of the race itself by making them acquainted with their own latent powers by enkindling among them the hope that for them there is a future by developing their moral power by combining and reflecting their talents would prove a most powerful means of removing prejudice and of awakening an interest in them i further informed them at, at the time the statement was true that there was not in the united states a single newspaper regularly published by the colored people that many attempts had been made to establish such papers but that up to that time they had all failed these views i laid before my friends the result was nearly two thousand five hundred dollars were speedily raised toward starting my paper for this prompt and generous assistance rendered upon my bare suggestion without any personal efforts on my part i shall never cease to feel deeply grateful and the thought of fulfilling the noble ex expectations of the dear friends who gave me this evidence of their confidence will never cease to be a motive for persevering exertion proposing to leave england and turning my face toward america in the spring of eighteen forty seven i was met on the threshold with something which painfully reminded me of the kind of life which awaited me in my native land for the first time in the many months spent abroad i was met with proscription on account of my colour a few weeks before departing from england while in london i was careful to purchase a ticket and secure a berth for returning home in the cambria the steamer in which i left the united states paying therefore the round sum of forty pounds and nineteen shillings sterling this was first cabin fare but on going aboard the cambria i found that the liverpool agent had ordered my berth to be given to another and had forbidden my entering the saloon this contemptible conduct met with stern rebuke from the british press for upon the point of leaving england i took occasion to expose the disgusting tyranny in the columns of the london times that journal and other leading journals throughout the united kingdom held up the outrage to unmitigated condemnation so good an opportunity for calling out a full expression of british sentiment on the subject had not before occurred and it was most fully embraced the result was that mr cunard came out in a letter to the public journals assuring them of his regret at the outrage and promising that the like should never occur again on board his steamers and the like we believe has never since occurred on board the steamships of the cunard line it is not very pleasant to be made the subject of such insults but if all such necessarily resulted as this one did i should be very happy to bear patiently many more than i have borne of the same sort 
albeit the lash of proscription to a man accustomed to equal social position even for a time as i was has a sting for the soul hardly less severe than that which bites the flesh and draws the blood from the back of the plantation slave it was rather hard after having enjoyed nearly two years of equal social privileges in england often dining with gentlemen of great literary social political and religious eminence never during the whole time having met with a single word look or gesture which gave me the slightest reason to think my colour was an offence to anybody now to be cooped up in the stern of the cambria and denied the right to enter the saloon lest my dark presence should be deemed an offence to some of my democratic fellow-passengers the reader will easily imagine what must have been my feelings End of chapter twenty four